One way you don't want to keep up with the Kardashians, this is Industry Focus. Hi, Fools, healthcare analyst uh, Michael Douglas here today. It is Wednesday, and we're talking about healthcare. Lots of interesting news and headlines. I am joined, uh, as always, by longtime contributor Todd Campbell and by my fellow healthcare analyst Christine Hargis. Welcome, everyone. So let's jump right in. The first and probably least important uh, headline of the bunch, but one that was just far too interesting to uh, to not bring up and lead off with. Um, so the FDA has sent a warning letter. Um, Kim Kardashian on her uh, on her uh, Twitter uh, basically. Um, promoted this uh, morning sickness drug. It's called uh, Declegus. And um, in doing so, she did not mention the drugs, um, drug-to-drug interactions and and sort of safety issues. She just talked about its um, its effectiveness and how useful it's been for her. Um, and so the uh, company, uh, Duchesne Inc., um, got a warning letter from the FDA uh, about this uh, Kim Kardashian tweet, uh, proving that the FDA is definitely monitoring the social media world. Um, quick takes. Todd, what, what, what do you think? I think it just goes to show that you need to follow the tweets of all the Kardashians to make sure you get all the news that you possibly can uh, on various uh, drugs that are on the market. All right. Sounds good. We're not just talking Twitter. We're talking Instagram, Facebook. They're all over it. Yeah. I mean, and also, you know, to be fair, she did actually point out that they have a website, uh, pointed out that there is safety info, kind of alluded to it. But, you know, apparently that isn't sufficient. But I mean, my takeaway on this is I just hope that Kanye is ready to go to bat for her and tell the FDA that if the pill isn't killing anyone, it's only making them stronger. And and she just quoted a Kanye song. And 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 folks, uh, that's a wrap. No, I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> let's let's head into oh, some no. some of our other uh, other news. Um, interestingly, CVS has uh, decided to basically delay negotiating with uh, Regeneron and Sanofi about their PCSK9 inhibitor uh, Proluent until there's an FDA decision about the competitor drug. Repatha. Um, Todd, do you want us to give, to give us just a little bit of background on PCSK9 drugs, just kind of set the stage for this these conversations? Sure, absolutely. This is a lot like what you know we probably saw a year, year and a half ago when Savaldi first came to market. Hepatitis C drug, very high price, $1,000 pill, lots of media attention. Kind of kicked off that whole debate on you know, how much can drug companies charge for drugs, how much should they charge for drugs, and should we, should we be paying for that? Uh, what these drugs are, these PCSK9 inhibitors, easy for me to say, um, <laughs> are, are the cholesterol-busting drugs. So, you know, for two decades, we've been using statins to help clo- uh, control cholesterol and prevent heart attack and stroke. Um, but statins don't do a good job for everybody. You know, of the 36 million or so people who take statins, roughly a third of those people, you know, aren't, having, aren't controlling their cholesterol uh, to the levels that doctors would like to see. So... Companies like Regeneron and you know Amgen has another drug that's coming up in front of the FDA by um, August 27th. Developed this new class of drugs that can be used alongside statins to reduce um, cholesterol even further. Um, and once they received approval from the FDA to begin marketing this new drug, Proluent, that's made by uh, Regeneron, uh, they set a price tag of fourteen thousand uh, six hundred dollars. 
which is just an eye-popping sum for a drug that could be used by millions of people. Well, and especially when you consider the fact that the, that drug is, um, you know, this is not curing cholesterol, right? This is not a one-and-done kind of drug. This is um, a drug that will likely be taken for years. Um, and so, you know, you think about that sort of from the from the profitability side for the company. Obviously, that looks you know very nice for them. But for uh, a pharmacy benefit manager like CVS, or from really anyone concerned about drug spending, it becomes kind of a bigger problem. And and let's face it, CVS had previously guided that these could be the most. Um, let me let me make sure I'm 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 saying this correctly. That PCSK9 drugs could be the highest selling um, class of medicine in history, um, just in terms of that that amount of money that'll have to be spent. And I'll just add that the company actually at CVS released something in February that projected that this class could end up bringing costs of $150 billion annually to the U.S. healthcare system, which is just this exorbitant, exorbitant number. And so that was that was based on an estimate of selling these drugs for 12000 a year, which is actually less than they're even now going to be sold for. Right. So certainly a, a big... A big bunch of numbers, and and uh, that just re-highlights that continued debate we're having here in the country about drug pricing and, and what's an appropriate price, sort of what what's the juice for the squeeze here um, for payers. Uh, Todd, what's your what's your take? Was this the was this a good move by CVS? Yes and no. This is this is a move that they have to make. You know, mm-hmm. they operate a, a pharmacy benefit management company that helps insurers and employers control drug costs. And, you know, they serve 70 million patients through that pharmacy benefit manager. So it's their responsibility to the insurance company clients, to the, the employer uh, customers, to negotiate the cheapest price they possibly can. And, you know, you could argue that their uh, attempts to control pricing, you know, may not trump the need for someone to get access to this drug. So I could see where doctors would say, listen, don't tell me how to prescribe. You know, if I feel like my patient needs to have this drug to lower cholesterol, don't tell me it's too expensive. Cover it. Um, so there could be pushback from patients and doctors to CVS, just as CVS is pushing back against Regeneron uh, on the cost of these drugs. And we did see some of that play out last year. You know, Gilead was pretty effective in being able to communicate the advantages of taking hepatitis C medications um, as far as function- delivering a functional cure, et cetera. Um, and obviously, you know, through negotiations and everything else that's fallen out, those drugs are getting more and more uh, widely used. And I would assume the same thing will play out here uh, in this class of drugs. Without a doubt, though, in my mind, the sales that could come from these drugs trumps uh, anything else that we've seen up to this date. Yeah, Christine, what's your take? I think one thing that needs to enter the conversation is the kind of long-term cost savings that we could be seeing here, where even if you're spending this tremendous amount of money on managing cholesterol, the trade-off there is that you're avoiding the much, much more expensive complications that could come down the road. And that's the same thing that you see the argument from your Gilead Sciences and your companies that make these very expensive hepatitis C drugs. They're pointing out that, you know what, if we're saving people from needing a half million dollar liver transplant down the road, then the cost is somewhat justified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's 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 a complicated and uh, and difficult set of issues. And 
ones that uh, I think this really highlights in, in healthcare that um, so much of what's going on in healthcare, so much of it affects on uh, or depends on what's going on with government regulation. Um, and um, in a lot of ways, that's kind of a black box. Um, that there are a lot of things that can come down the pike and cannot come down the pike. Um, you know, when you think about Affordable Care Act, Medicaid expansion, when you think, which actually, nice segue. We're, we're talking about the ACA next, so uh, so stay tuned. Um, but that it's it's difficult to plan for a lot of these things, and that's one of the things that makes healthcare just so difficult to model for and understand long term. Um, it's also one of the reasons why investing for the long term in healthcare is so important. Um, so more on that as we know more. Let's let's hop over uh, to you know one of the other big healthcare stories of the past I don't know uh, what six years now. The Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. The biggest thing you need to know about Obamacare in 2016. Open enrollment is less than three months from now, and penalties are going to jump again. Todd. Yeah. If you haven't signed up for um, insurance through, you know, the healthcare.gov or the state exchanges, you might want to consider doing it because the stick is going to get a lot thicker and more painful in 2016 than it was last year. You know, last year, um, the IRS says that 7.5 million people worked over a combined $1.5 billion in penalties for not having health insurance that it allows them to avoid the um, the Obama, Obamacare uh, penalty, mm. and you know that was based on you know a fine of ninety five bucks per adult uh, or one percent of income, but in two thousand sixteen, it's going to be way higher than that. It's going to six ninety five per adult or two and a half percent of income, whichever is greater. Yeah, so that's definitely a, definitely a, a much bigger number. But of course, there are other factors in this, Christine. Yeah, so one of the things that you need to think about is when an individual is faced with this decision of do I bother to get health care, you know, if you're somebody that doesn't like this individual mandate, you don't feel like you need to get your own health insurance, you think it's too expensive, that's actually not a bad point. And when you compare the amount that people are paying for these health plans to what the penalty is, you actually end up having a, a kind of odd comparison there. Because so if this penalty is going up to this year $325 per adult or 2% of income, even when it jumps in 2016 to $695 per adult or 2.5% of income, that doesn't even really compare to the cost of even the cheapest plan that you get. So the average premium of a plan purchased on the marketplace during Obamacare's first open enrollment period was $82, and this was after a whole bunch of cost assistance. So if you multiply that by 12, you end up with $984 per year. So that's 984 compared to 695. Sure. Of course on the on the flip side, if someone gets sick, if someone needs to visit the doctor, um, then there is that sort of trade-off where suddenly you're paying, you know, not not the insured rate, but the uninsured rate or um, getting, you know, instead of a $20 copay, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars for something. So it it very much depends on the person and their circumstances. You know, me personally, um, I have always tended toward um, thinking that it's better to be safe than sorry when it comes to insurance. Um, but of course, everyone has to make their own decisions. Um, and here at The Motley Fool, we're going to be covering what's going on with uh, with Obamacare. Certainly, it has been a um, a big win in terms of driving down the, insurance, the uninsured rate um, and in terms of 
benefiting insurers and hospitals. Um, I think one of the big questions longer term is going to be what does it actually do for quality of care? Uh, and there's a lot of ways that the, the law is, uh, is working, uh, including accountable care organizations, which we've talked about from time to time here on the podcast. Um, there are a lot of different opportunities um, to see what's what we're doing in terms of actually sort of helping people get healthier. Um, so that's going to be a big thing for us to watch in the ACA moving forward. Um, Todd, Christine, thanks for your take. Uh, Todd, as always, Christine, uh, not not as often, but actually there's uh, that's going to be changing. Uh, folks, a little bit of housekeeping for you. Um, following up on an announcement that was made on Monday's Financials um, Industry-Focused Podcast, which is an excellent podcast with John Maxfield, our senior banking specialist. So if you haven't listened to it, do be sure to. Um, we are shifting our industry-focused personnel around a little bit. Um, so Gabby LaPera, is going to be working with John in the financials industry focus uh, on Mondays. And Christine Hargis is going to be taking over my position and uh, and working with Todd and y'all in healthcare. Um, I am... It has been a, a, a real honor and pleasure to um, to be on this podcast um, since since its inception as Industry Focus uh, late last year. Uh, and Todd, to work with you um, throughout the time. Uh, I know... Uh, f- dear listeners, that I am leaving you uh, with someone who has a lot fewer vocalized pauses than I do and cares about healthcare just as much and just as deeply. Um, Christine has really done a great deal um, to make sure that we're answering uh, and focusing on listener questions, so do send them along. She loves getting them. Industryfocus at fool.com. Um, Todd, Thanks for the uh, thanks for the for the memories. It's been a fantastic run. I still intend to be here regularly as a special guest. Uh, Christine has has very kindly allowed me to, uh, to to drop in, so I will still be here regularly, um, but perhaps not quite as regularly. Um, and with that, I think we're we're done today. Stay tuned for industry focus tomorrow. It's energy, and I will actually be filling in with Tyler Crow. So um, if you have um, if you fear missing my voice, you'll certainly hear it again tomorrow, for better or for worse. Uh, Christine's rolling her eyes in the studio. Um, thanks much. Never. <laughs> of course. Um, thanks much, all, and full on. As always, remember that folks on the show may have um, positions in stocks that we discuss, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against stocks that are discussed on the show, or may own stocks mentioned in the show. So, as always, please, please, please do not do anything based just on what you hear. Do your own research. Do your own due diligence. It's the foolish way, and it's the best way to invest. Thanks.